Hello and welcome to the Ackerman Center podcast, where we explore Holocaust-related topics during the time of our new virtual reality. I'm your host, Sarah Valente, Visiting Assistant Professor of Holocaust Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. I'm Niels Romer, Interim Dean of the School of the Arts and Humanities, Director of the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies, and Barbara and Stan Raven, Professor of Holocaust Studies. Dr. Hi, Dr. Valente. How are you doing I'm this week? I'm doing fine. It's just another week. Um, you know, we're still here all the same, relating and um, connecting with each other remotely rather than face-to-face. And that presumably will continue to be that way for a while to come. Um, at least if one goes by the number of um, the infections right now, then being home is probably the safest place to be. Exactly. And as we look forward to the fall, you know, I think we are all starting to wonder how that will look like. And so it's good that we're accustomed to being online and doing things online because we're ready for whatever may come. No, that's exactly the thing where we we can plan all we want. But I think most importantly, we want to like rely on our ability to to have to change quickly. Um, Like we've done before, I think, you know. In spring, actually, for the ones um, showed universities very, very quickly and very decisively changing. So we can take confidence, um, you know, and reassurance from that. Definitely. And talking about doing things virtually and online, last Sunday, we had the beautiful concert, which the Ackerman Center participated as a distributing partner for the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust in New York City. Um, that concert, We Are Here. That was a wonderful experience. What were your thoughts about this? I think it was really phenomenal because, you know, they were able to really pull it off with so many different performers, beautiful pieces that were performed. Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah performed in Yiddish, that beautiful duet by Billy Joe and Lang Lang on the piano. And then that beautiful song also, Over the Rainbow, that I had not realized that was written in 1939 by Jews who had immigrated to New York City and were looking back to what was happening in Europe and, you know, dreaming about what might be beyond the rainbow and kind of like that hope for the future. And so I thought it was actually a really beautiful concert. It brought a lot of hope, especially in the times that we're living in. And I would highly recommend anyone that didn't get a chance to watch it to go to their website. It's just wearehere.live and watched about an hour, an hour and a half. And it's really, really beautiful. The beauty of, of these online events that are now coming up left yeah. and right, that in lots of ways it brings that kind of interconnectedness that we normally don't have with events. I mean, the last time, I mean, they're, they're, the comparisons that are now always made in terms of global events, I mean, you would either have to think about global 
sports events or the Live Aid concert exactly. of something that was simultaneously watched around the world. And I think we're getting now there uh, with these you know types of events that find um, or larger audiences because in this case, I think that also did a great job in rallying the troops, so to speak, like us to help with the distribution. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and this is also, I think, a really wonderful way for us to be able to commemorate these anniversaries that are coming up. You know, for example, the concert was really about the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Um, and now we are also this week, we have an upcoming lecture about Operation Barbarossa. So another one of these anniversaries that has come around and now we're thinking about it, but we're able to really commemorate and think about these events together in a very global sense, you know, and people can always go back and rewatch these events. So I think it's a really different way for us to memorialize and commemorate these events that have to do with the Holocaust in a way that we really didn't do before this social distancing time. Well, and it's also, I think, um, you know, following the memorial calendar, you know, the anniversaries of, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's obviously tied to public remembrance in many ways, but it does also provide like a good, opportunity over and again to revisit the significance of a particular date. So how significant was Operation Barbarossa? I mean, obviously it was a decisive moment in the military campaign, but what if, if you know, is its exact uh, relationship to the Holocaust? And I think that's something that, you know, historians have debated. Um, but they've also have more recently revisited again the kind of um, nature of the Operation Barbarossa and its you know, early failure. I think for too long have mm -hmm. we believed that um, almost the Nazi propaganda about their early victories, and we've seen those maps that were conquered, and little did we realize that they themselves were, were very early on quite conscious of the fact that the actual operation itself had early on failed because the goal of Operation Barbarossa was a quick and decisive victory. And that was not mm -hmm. going to happen, and they the Third Reich and its leaders became very quickly aware of that. So we'll mm -hmm. focus on that this week on a lecture that I'm giving actually on Monday. And then we also have our annual teachers workshop um, this week as well, good, which yes. brings together middle and high school teachers. This time again in an online format. This time it's focused on euthanasia, uh, the T4 program. Mm -hmm. And then um, on top of it, we're still running our online undergraduate class actually on Operation Barbarossa. And I'm excited about guest lecturing there as well this week. So it'll be a busy week. Lots of lectures. Yes. And for the teacher's workshop, I also want to add that we are featuring Dr. Patricia Herbert Price, who is the director of the Division of Senior Historians at the U.S. Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. So she will be the guest uh, lecturer for that day. And for anyone who's interested in any of the events that we're mentioning, just visit our website. It's tdallas.edu forward slash Ackerman. And you can find all of our events and everything that's going on there, the specific links for Dr. Romer's lecture tomorrow on Monday, uh, June 22nd at 4 p.m. It will be over WebEx. So be sure to visit our website for the direct link so that you can join us for the for this event as well. Very good. I mean, this is really important for us as a way. The Ackerman Center has always been very much about community engagement. And so we don't want to ever lose that. And so these various lectures that we are now hosting online are very good ways of, you know, continuously engaging our public. 
we're talking about, you know, a very busy week for the Ackerman Center. But if we kind of step back and look at what has happened in the U.S. this past week, too, it has been quite a monumental week for the Supreme Court. We saw two very important decisions being taken earlier this week. And, you know, in a landmark decision, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of protections for LGBT folks. And on Thursday, they also ruled in favor of protections for about 700,000 young immigrants living in the United States. So I thought about, you know, this very monumental moment in civil rights in the United States this week. And I was thinking about how can we talk a little bit about these topics vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Holocaust. So, for example, when we think about um, protection for LGBT rights, why is it that this is also one of the groups that was persecuted by the Nazi party. And then on the other hand, we can talk about um, the fact that for, for Jews who were foreigners in the countries that they lived in, so let's say those who did not have papers to be in the places that they were, as soon as the Nazis would occupy a new country, let's say France, you know, this past week was the 80th anniversary of the occupation of Paris, those foreign Jews were often the first ones that were targeted for deportation um, and, and sent away from, from that country. So maybe we could touch a little bit just, on these. Just a few um, small, smaller topics. questions here and there <laughs> in between. Uh, but it's interesting how really the calendar sometimes, you know, you know, focus our attentions on these ways in which we can maybe relate certain things to each other. But, um, you know, just starting out with the, with the, the landmark decision about um, the LBGT community, the Nazis inherited already a tremendously uh, horrific uh, paragraph. It's the notorious paragraph 175, uh, which you know preceded the Third Reich and had already been in place for quite a while to come. But within the Weimar Republic, it was barely ever enacted. So in lots of ways, the Weimar Republic is otherwise known for um, sexual liberation, the recognition of what you know comes to be known as the third sex. And so in lots of ways, there's a lot that happens in that front. But when it comes then to the Third Reich, it reestablishes actually and enforces very traditional gender roles, you know, also very much on the, on the side of the expectations that it has upon women. And so it ends up that it persecutes um, both homosexuals and lesbians in large numbers. And what is very hard, you know, breaking about this is that those that have survived this in lots of ways, unlike other victims of the Holocaust, were barely ever acknowledged. And they often encountered also um, a culture that was still not willing to acknowledge them, the post-war Germany, uh, where this article and variation continued to, to exist, for again, for quite a while. And therefore, and there's this uh, documentary that we actually showed a couple of years ago, Paragraph 175, where a good many older men at this point are interviewed and the pain that is in their faces when they talk about how they returned but wouldn't even be able to tell their respective fathers or mothers why they had been persecuted because their sexual orientation was a secret well kept, um, you know, is in a different way a particularly painful moment, I think, of the Holocaust. Wow. And it took a while again for that to be acknowledged. Um, if one nowadays goes to Berlin, then in front of the mm -hmm. monumental monument for the murdered Jews on the other side of the street, more secluded, is also a memorial uh, for, the, for the gay and, and lesbian victims of the Third Reich.
It's interesting to make that distinction, even in a memorial. That it was very contested in Berlin. Berlin debated it for for quite a while whether mm -hmm. that would would have to be a memorial to the murdered Jews, as it turned out, or whether there should have been a more inclusive memorial that also would have um, included the Sinti and Roma. So that's the other memorial that sits in the other direction. Mm -hmm. um, so these, right. yeah, Behind so they the have these yeah. two distinct sides of you know, acknowledging the victims that were not included in the actual memorial. Very interesting. And then when we think about refugees, um, hostility, the refugees in Saturday, yesterday was World Refugee Day as well. So we're coming up on all kinds of commemorations and anniversaries here. Well, you know, this is the big marker. We often forget this, that even before the Third Reich embarked on war, it had created an endless amount of, of Jewish refugees. And for these Jewish mm -hmm. refugees, one of the, the you know most difficult you know, things that they encountered was very few choices in terms of their ability to go. So right now, I think this week, um, um, there's also a lot of attention drawn again to the St. Louis, the ship that brought yes. Jewish refugees across the Atlantic all the way to Havana in order to embark there, only to um, see that their visas have been revoked. And what happens then in that moment is that virtually every other country that is en route meaning all the Latin American countries, the U.S., Canada, all of them refuse to take these refugees. And so that ship has to turn around and then make its way all the way again across the Atlantic, all the way back to Europe. And many of them will eventually end up um, in the fangs of the Third Reich. So this is um, a really, really um, horrible experience of, of refugees who who, you know, quite literally almost could have, you know, seen the beaches of Miami. Exactly. And I think this voyage was before the war even That's broke, right. right? This was on May 13th, 1939. And there were about 937 passengers um, on that ship who ended up being taken back to Germany. And most of them, like Dr. Wilmer said, perished in the Holocaust. But you make another interesting point, you know, and that is, you know, when when it comes to the Third Reich, you know, in particular, our attention is often drawn toward um, the Netherlands, the France, and Germany, Austria, Poland, Soviet Union, and then we think about the victims very much as being victims of these respective nation states, the Dutch of the Netherlands, the French, and so on and so forth. But what we often fail to recognize is the large number of foreign Jews who had ended up in this interwar period so to speak, away from home for various reasons, most often just looking for economic opportunities. And one of the things that is noticeable is that it's much easier for the Third Reich initially to deport foreign Jews than, than citizens, respectively, of those nation states. And that we see this very clearly, the case in France, for example, where the it's early on that large large numbers of foreigners are being deported. And then later on in 43, we still come to a point where many other countries are given a choice, so to speak, to, to um, intervene and to bring home their respective citizens, Jewish citizens. Turkey is, is a famous case, but they failed to do so. And then in, in, in 43, in the end, uh, the Nazis will also deport Jews who are from neutral um, countries, meaning from countries with whom they are not at war, and mm -hmm. countries who presumably would have had a chance um, to to right. safeguard their own citizens, but failed to do so for various reasons. 
Exactly. And here I'm thinking also of Portugal and Spain and Turkey and all of these places that could have done more. Yeah. something to more. save the more. But therefore, yeah. you know, we, we you know, when yeah. you look at the deportation lists, like we do sometimes at the Ackerman Center, one is, you know, sometimes you look at an individual deportation, a very famous one that comes quite late is uh, Convoy 77. And when you look at right. th that, you see it virtually the better part of the world. Um, you know, here's a, someone Jewish from Argentina. Here's someone from Mexico. Here's someone from North Africa. And so in, in a nutshell, you can see really that what was so distinct about the, the Holocaust and sets it apart from other genocide is really this worldwide hunt almost of victims. It's not that it's specific exactly. to one geography. It's not like the Armenian genocide that was limited to the territory of the then Ottoman Empire, the Holocaust from its start, and it has a lot to do with Operation Barbarossa, has ultimately no limits. It, it is limited by the way the war will be fought, but it's not limited in terms of what it wants to accomplish. It's wonderful to hear that you will be covering this on Monday. I, then. I should we can hope learn so. much more about this conversation and, and this idea of you know the protection for these Jewish immigrants at that time who were trying to simply find a way to live, to continue their lives. Um, and so we'll tune in to that lecture and we'll be back next week and we'll definitely discuss a little bit more about it. So thank you so much, Dr. Romer. Thank you, Dr. Valente. Um, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Zognit kein molas du geist dem letzten Weg, Gott schimmeln bleien, er verstehen bläue Tag. Kommen wird noch unser ausgebänkte Schar, es wird ab Beugton unser Trott mir seinen da. Kommen wird noch unser ausgebänkte Schar, es wird ab Beugton unser Trott mir seinen da. Thank you for listening. You can find us on our website at utdallas.edu forward slash Ackerman. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Holocaust Podcast. Thank you for listening. Until next time.